few weeks ago, we had a video that we showed uh, that kind of introduced a special offering that we were taking. I don't know if any of you remember that video, but the speaker in that video's name was David Platt. David Platt is uh, kind of becoming a famous uh, preacher these days and author books is called Radical. Raise your hand if you've heard of the book Radical by David Platt, okay? Some of you here. It's uh, actually a good read. I encourage you uh, to pick it up. At what point in his book, David Platt talks about uh, an interesting week that he had. Uh, he travels often, and um, he speaks about a week in which he spent some time with some Christians in Asia, and he also spent some time uh, with some Christians in America, all in the same week. The first experience that he talks about is the time when he was in Asia, where uh, he details pretty poignantly uh, the corporate worship gathering that, that he was in. He talks about the fact that there were only about 20 to 25 Christians gathered in a very small room. It was an interesting kind of atmosphere because, in many ways, people felt like their lives were in danger. That at any moment, some authority might knock on the door and come in and arrest them. These people were uh, uh, used to seeing many of their friends and their family members who declared faith in Jesus uh, be imprisoned or even lose their life. And so as these 20 to 25 Christians gathered for worship... There was a passion in the room. There was a state of just urgency and dependency. These people wept as they cried out to their God to save them, to protect them, and really to use them to bring about God's purposes in the world as they knew it. See, they made a claim. And it was loud and clear in the way that they lived and the way that they worshipped. They made a claim that they valued God more than anything else. You see, the Christians in America also made a similar claim. They made the claim that, that they valued God more than anything else. But interestingly enough, as David Platt articulates his experience a few days earlier in an American church, where thousands of people were gathered, a large church, they came up in their uh, sport utility vehicles that had leather-heated leather seats. And they walked into a building that they dropped their kids off to like a Disney-like experience. And on their way into the uh, cinematic, high-tech sanctuary where all their religious desires were being served to them, they grabbed their latte. You see, that what we see is... The claim is the same. One, you can see, is real devotion, unquestionably. And on the other hand, a, a, a people that claim to value God, that when you look at their life and their worship, you begin to question it at best. And at worst, you realize that that kind of claim is at best a religious game that's being played for other people to see. We begin to question, do they really value God 
more than anything. Let me ask you this morning as we begin a new series in this new year. It's January 3rd. It's a question we're going to ask every week in this series. What do you value most? I mean, really. Let's forget the show for a minute. What do you value to the greatest degree? I want you to write that question down on a piece of paper if you have ability to. At the very least, write that question on your mind. What do you value most? This year, I want to start it off by going directly to our soul. I want to go directly to our heart in this series. I want to ask the simple question, where are you in relationship to Jesus Christ? Is He, is God your greatest value? Can you really say that? This first message in this series, it's my hope that as we begin to ask that question, that we can awaken in all of us a deeper desire and a deeper love and a deeper devotion and a deeper valuing of the thing that is surpassably more valuable than anything else, God himself. And when that happens, you see, when we value God more than anything, genuinely, then we begin to see a changed life. True, real, lasting change. Not some self-help resolution to start the year where we want to just be a better version of us in 2016. No, a deeper valuing of God that leads to a completely different life. Psalm 63. Let's take a look at this passage and begin to ask that question. What do we value more than anything else? Verse 1, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, They shall be given over to the power of the sword. 
they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. It seems like a long time ago that we were walking the streets of North Syracuse this past summer. I don't know if many, all of you know this, but this summer we had three men come into like a residency internship kind of program where they gave uh, a certain amount of hours a week to ministry here at the church and also to mission in the neighborhood. Okay, So these people, as awkward as it was at times, went up to strangers and tried to take the initiative to interact with people that they did not know. One of the questions that uh, Tim Bissell actually uh, gave to them, assigned to them to ask people, was a really simple one, and yet I think a meaningful one as well. It was this, what is most important to you? We wanted to understand the community, what it valued, what was important to it. You could probably assume that we would get a number of answers when we asked that question, what is important to you? But there was, as I remember, I might get some pushback from the other guys, as I remember, a, a pattern that the most common answers were related to what? Family. Right? That people, uh, at the end of the day, are most valuable to us. That that which we have a personal connection to becomes the thing that we value the most. That it's our family, it's my wife, it's my children, it's my family, it's people that I am close to and connected to even here. That These are the things at the end of the day that we value. It's, it's not our iPads, it's not our iPhones, it's not our cars, it's not our homes, it's not our jobs. No, it is people. People that we love, people that we're connected to are the things that are most valuable to us. Value is tied to personal connection. And when you begin to read Psalm 63, we see that the psalmist, David, in the middle of the wilderness, running from his son, most likely, who's about to kill him and take his throne, has a personal connection with his God. He says, my God, I'm sorry, he says, oh God, you are my God. There's the, the, the statement of faith, oh God, you exist, you're real. But then there's the, you are my God. There's personal relationship. There's connection to his God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you. I will lift my hands in your name. There is a personal connection to God in the life of David. And so as we begin to talk about what we value really, I want to ask you the question, do you know God? It's an important question. Can you claim like David and say, Oh God, you are my God. 
And do you have that kind of personal, intimate, relational connection with God? Because it's an important question. If you do not know God, if you're not connected to Him, you will not value Him. Do you see that? Because value is tied to personal connection. If you do not know Him, you will not value Him truly. So the question becomes, do you know Him? Can you join in the statement of David, the claim, that personal statement, you are my God. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship with God. We can begin to make assumptions and, and draw conclusions based on certain behaviors on the outside, which are important. But it's possible that for many of us, we could be just going to church Smiling, giving a few bucks, going to a missional community sometimes, just doing the things that make it look like we actually value God. But the truth is that we can do that for decades, a whole life, and never actually know God at all. And it's my fear, and it's my plea, that each and every one of us would have a real, genuine meaningful connection with the living God that we can say with David, my God. But understand this. The God that we speak of can only be known in one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has access to the Father. No one can live in relational connection to the Father. No one can be a child of the Father if they do not come through me. And so Jesus comes into the world revealing himself so that he might be known, so that God might be understood, so that we can see and interact with the God who has made us, so that we might be what? Invited into Brought into relationship with God. Knowing Him is what life is all about. That's why we've been made. To know God. Not just know things about Him, but to know who He is. And so do you know Him? Because God can only be our greatest value if we know Him. Don't leave today with a religious, couple things I do, connection to Jesus. Cry out to him that he might fill you, that he might save you, that you might be united to him in his death and resurrection. That's saving knowledge of God. Go to Jesus. Because we will only value God if we know him. Verse 1 goes on. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. If God is our greatest value, you will know him. If God is your greatest value, you will desire him. 
Look at what he says, the language he uses. Earnestly, I seek you, this intense search. He's in the middle of a desert. What he's really looking for, right, is water, food, some animal to kill, something to meet his physical needs. Maybe a friend, a protector, someone to be with him. Maybe he's lonely. Whatever the case may be, you would not think that David in this moment would be looking for anything else other than what would help him survive, water and food. But we see that in the midst of this desert, what does he want? He desires God. His flesh faints for the living God. He thirsts for God. He hungers for God in the midst of his difficult circumstances. Have you ever been a place in this kind of place physically? I remember Thanksgiving Day, the Maisies all did this kind of wannabe turkey trot in uh, Sedgwick. It's like, you know, most of them are three miles and up. Well, we did the 1.3 mile. Everyone start laughing. But here's the deal. The first quarter mile is like this, right? There's only like 15 runners. I mean, it's like a joke neighborhood run, like Okay, we can win this one, you know, like that was the look on our face. And Silas had the idea, definitely I'm winning this thing. I mean, clearly I'm winning this race. And here's the deal. I was surprised. I knew this kid's going to sprint. He's going to die in about 200 feet, you know. We sprinted this hill, and I'm following Silas. Like, he's beating me. He is gone. We get to the top of the hill, and Silas looks at me, and he goes, I can't do it anymore, Dad. I'm so thirsty, my mouth. And like he couldn't even think about the race anymore. All he could think about was his physical need. And at this point, I'm like, Silas, you are as far as you possibly could be from water right now. The only way to get water is to keep running. You need to run, son. And you can't let these women beat us. You need to run. (laughs) You say, man, that guy's sick. That's that's what happened. That's all I can tell you. But when I thought about David's desire for... For the living in that, that moment physically, right? Where you're so thirsty, your mouth is dry, you are so hungry, that's all you can think about. And yet David is in this moment physically, but he is spiritually, all those physical uh, desires and faintings, what all they are is waking him up to the reality that what he really needs and what he really desires is God. He thirsts for God. He longs for God. He desires God. Do you? You see, I can't answer that question for you. I can't. This is between you and the Spirit. The Word of God is being brought to you right now, and the Spirit of God is working on your heart, and as you enter into the new year, you're asking the question, do I value God? Well, you can only answer that question if you can, uh, with certainty, say, I desire Him. I long for Him. I thirst for Him. Because we desire that what we value. We pursue it, what we value. We seek it. We thirst for it. We want it. And the psalmist has good reason. Look at verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. I'm going to lift up my hands in your name. Why does he desire? Why does he thirst? Why does he hunger for God? Because he understands this, that every physical uh, need meeting, all the things that the world would offer him, 
food, drink, what, even a return to his throne, all that the world would offer him pales in comparison to the, knowing the steadfast love of his God. Your steadfast love is better than life. As you think about just the covenantal love of God, the fact that he decided to love you long ago when he made a promise to Abraham, that love that has gone through all of history and is still continuing to never cease in your life, as you think about the timeless, eternal nature of the steadfast love of God and compare it to anything that this world would offer you, do you see its all-surpassing worth? Or are you content to just enjoy cars and, and clothing and homes and jobs and success and affirmation from other people? Is that enough for you? Is that what you really want? Do you want control and significance and affirmation and acceptance from other people? Or do you want the living God? These things are temporal. These things come and go. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His goodness never comes to an end. Your steadfast love is better than life. That's why he desires him. That's why he worships him. Right? It's interesting that Asaph, in another psalm, Psalm 73, looks at the world. He sees the prosperity of the wicked. Look at these people. They're sinful. They're evil. And they have all this success and prosperity. And here I am trying to be faithful to you, God, and all I get is problems and suffering and a mess. Sound like any of our hearts today? But just like David, the text in Psalm 73, just like verse 2, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. Asaph says, I went into the sanctuary. I beheld your presence. I had a reality check, and I saw their end. And I began to realize I may have nothing in this life, but here's the deal. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire. Nothing on earth I desire beside you. Because steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. You've tasted these worldly pleasures, haven't you? Right? You've, in many ways, pursued and enjoyed many of the things this world offers with technology and science and entertainment all the American prosperity, all the technological advancement, you've tasted it, you've seen it, you know it. And at the end of the day, you recognize this, that all this world offers you and the value and worth of it is nothing more than a piece of gum in your mouth. Right when you put in the gum, it's sweet to the taste for about 30 seconds. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, there are amazing things in the world, but when we're talking about our soul, four times in this text, he's talking about his soul. That's what I'm going after this morning in your life and in mine. I'm not talking about the outside. I'm talking about the soul, who you are. 
that none of those things the world offers is what? Compared to the surpassing value of the steadfast love of God. You can't compare it. It's a piece of gum that the sweetness of the taste goes away in 30 seconds, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And so you desire it. You worship God for it. Do you desire God? If you value him, you desire him. There's no other way to explain it. Does your flesh faint for him? Does your heart cry out to him? Or is it going somewhere else? Are you longing for something else other than God? I'll just be honest. The last year we've seen God do incredible things in our family. We've seen God do some amazing things in this congregation. God has been at work in our midst, amen? And I want to humbly confess to you guys and to hopefully prompt humble confession in your own life. It's okay to just be honest. It's good. Let's stop playing religious games, eh? And let's just be honest. This year has been one of the most intense fights for me for joy in God. That I've found myself in a place where my desire to run to his word, to run to him in prayer, to obey sometimes has been low. Praise God for the Holy Spirit, which is the pilot light in many ways, that the heat is always ready to rock because of the spirit of God. But I sense as we head into this new year that God is calling me to fight for joy in him, as Piper says it. When we don't desire God, what do we do? Can we just admit sometimes we don't want to? It's okay. Well, it's not okay, but it's not okay to pretend you, everything is great. So we fight for joy in the Lord. We, we fight for that. And you know that, that pilot light of the Holy Spirit, it's almost like he, he's turning up the thermostat to respond differently to the world. He's saying, I'm going to turn up the heat in our passion, in our devotion to God. That's my prayer for you this year. That's where my focus is. You know, maybe part of it is the last couple of years, all we've been doing is focusing on a do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's like, maybe in this next year, at least for me personally, and I'm not trying to project that on you, it's about who you be. Who are you? Where's your affections? We see your actions, but are they rooted in holy affections? And I wonder if maybe for you that, that you're, you're so disconnected from that holy affection. You're living in action, but you forgot about the holy affection, that there's no connection to the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. You're just doing what you know you need to do. And by the way, do that. But it's my prayer that the Spirit of God turns up the heat and allows the, the heat of uh, his love to warm your heart this year. That you desire him, that you seek him, that you long for him. Because if God is your greatest value, what? You desire him. And we see the text goes on to say that 
Really, David's personal connection, which fuels his desire, leads to his satisfaction, right? Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied. My soul will be satisfied. I won't just be searching and never finding. That, that the one who values God is one that seeks and is satisfied in what he finds in God. Americans, compared to the rest of the world, there was a better life index that was kind of compiled by some research group that I can't remember the name at this time. Basically, they surveyed all the people of the world, and they found out, what, again, what was most important to people based on nations. There were things like education, like uh, safety, um, government issues, all that kind of thing. Uh, and you might not be surprised to know that America's number one priority, uh, at least from the, from the selections of the people, was life satisfaction. It wasn't safety. It wasn't education. It wasn't this, that. It was life satisfaction. That, to be an American is to desire and long for satisfaction in life. The question becomes, where do you find it? Because in many ways, we have all the worldly things at our fingertips to experience that kind of satisfaction that we long for. But interestingly enough, another survey was done, and they found out that some of the poorer countries actually are happier, actually live in a greater sense of life satisfaction than Americans. And actually, America was far down the happy index list. So we have all the resources for satisfaction. We have the desire to get it more than anything else, but we've fallen flat in actually experiencing it. Probably because we're looking in all the wrong places, aren't we? See, if we value God, we're going to look to Him to be our satisfaction. That His all-sufficient worth will be enough. We won't need anything else, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Why? Because you are all-satisfying. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. We see how he gets his satisfaction in the midst of his present desert. It's actually interesting, right? He is presently walking through the desert without food, water, and separate from all that he has valued and loved, right? And yet he's satisfied. And the text says that he's satisfied because he is remembering. He's gaining satisfaction in the present because he's looking into the past. He's looking back on the years of his life and he's saying, you've been my help. You have been my help. Right? What verse is that? Verse um, 7. For you have been my help. That gives him courage, that gives him strength, that gives him satisfaction to walk through the desert because he has looked back on the faithfulness of God and concluded, you have been my help. You see, I think we do this, right? Uh, at the end of a year, the beginning of a new year, we look back on the last year and we begin to say, hey, what have we accomplished over the last year? There's a sense of peace and satisfaction that we seem to 
temporally derive when we look back on our own accomplishments. Or a lack of peace, a lack of satisfaction when we look back on what we were unable uh, to accomplish in the last year. There's that moment where you sit in your chair, you have your cup of coffee, and you begin to reflect on the past, and you begin to do that sigh of peace and relief. Look at what I have done. But see, that's twisted. That goes up and down again. But when we look back on what God has done, when we take the focus off of ourselves and we remember him and we meditate upon him in the watches of the night, we have access to a satisfaction that never ends. It's his faithfulness. When was the last time you sat down and just reflected on the faithfulness of God? I'm telling you right now, if you sit down and remember, your valuing of God will increase. Your joy in God will increase. Your satisfaction in God will deepen. If you sit and say no to the present and say, look back on the past and say, these are specific ways in which God has been my help. This is an assignment. Go home, put at the top of a piece of paper, Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help. And then take as much time as you're able, preferably more than 22 seconds, and sit down and begin to uh, write down, record, this is how God has been my help. And watch the peace and the satisfaction that transcends circumstance. Because usually we find our joy and our delight and our satisfaction in our current circumstance. I'm saying no. Go to God. Go to past experience. Because here's the deal. What is the indicator of future experience? Past experience. Right? We can look at God and say, how will God treat me in the midst of this circumstance given how he has always treated me in past circumstances. God will get me through. God will be glorified in this situation. He will be my satisfaction no matter what I endure. Nothing can stand in the way of God's intentions for my life. We desire God. If he's our greatest value, we desire him. And if he's our greatest value, he, we find our satisfaction in him. Do you Find your satisfaction in God. Write that question down. If you value God, you will find your satisfaction in Him and Him alone, ultimately. The last thing I'm going to say is a verse that I just could not ignore. Verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. One of the another things that we do with what we value and hold dear is we hold on to it for dear life, don't we? Maybe stated another way, we protect it. Before 2001, 
we spent about $16 billion on Homeland Security. When 3,000 people died in New York City on September 11, 2011, the increase in our Homeland Security skyrocketed that over the next 10 years, it was almost a trillion dollars in Homeland Security spending. Not defense budget, Homeland Security. Why? because 3,000 people died on our soil. And we decided that we were going to put our money where our mouth was in protecting what we valued most. Right? There may be some other political spin on that that may be more accurate. But the point is this. We protect what we value. We hold on tight to it. Every night before I go to bed, I grab, I, I do the, the thing, the process. All the windows, whoosh, all the doors, and one out of 30 days, I forget to shut the garage, funny enough. You know, people can just walk in and just take everybody and my TVs. So if anybody looking for a place to find, you know where to go. Uh, but I go through this process. Why? Because I protect what I value. I hold on to it. I'll do anything to not lose it. Money people would say this, what we value most is the thing that we fear losing the most. Think about that. What do you fear losing the most? That's what you value most. If you're wondering, what do, I what do you fear losing the most? Where are all is your time and energy going to protect? Where are all your resources going to maintain and protect? That's what you value most. And look at what the psalmist says. My soul clings to you. Literally, fastens itself to you. The, the arms of David, in a spiritual sense, are like two seatbelts that fasten around his God. Are locked. And he will not let go. Is that you? In the midst of your storm, even in the midst of your successes, and things are going great, are you letting go a little bit because things are good? Or are you holding on? Because you can have all these things in this life, but man, I don't want to lose this. And then you read the second part of the verse that really becomes a perfect explanation of life, of salvation. Right? That in faith we're holding on to God. But understand this, no matter how tight the hold is, no matter how much energy we put in spiritually, whatever we do to hold on to the one that we trust and rely upon, understand this, that it is the right hand of God that is upholding us each step of the way. That nothing can take us out of his hands. That nothing threatens us from being held by him. We hold on to the one who holds on to us. Tell me that's not your life story. If I look back over the last 28 years of being a quote-unquote Christian, I could easily say this. My soul clings to you. With all that I have, sometimes I've got nothing. But every single day I know this with assurance, that your right hand upholds me. It's the both end of us and God who is upholding us. That's a God to be valued. 
that's a God to be treasured. That's more valuable and beautiful and glorious than anything else that this world would ever offer us. God is our greatest value. And it is my hope that we would not just put that on a piece of paper, on a website, or in a statement when we, when we do uh, membership process, say, our core values are God, truth, love, mission. But that would be really who we are in increasing measure. Knowing that this side of glory with the flesh, we will fail miserably here and there, but God's right hand will hold us and bring us home. God is our greatest value. You holding on to dear life for God. My first question was, do you value him? And then to answer that question, I had a series of other questions. That's what I'm going to do. I want to ask questions today. I want you to think. I want you to meditate and reflect upon this. Do I value God? Well, to answer that question, do, do, I, do I know God? Do I desire God? Do I find my satisfaction in God? Am I holding on for dear life to God? I can't answer those questions for you. But I beg you to write them down, to prayerfully walk through those questions. Let the Spirit of God move. If you need help in walking through that, there are people here that are willing to walk you through that and help deepen your affection in the living God and to say no to this world. In the way that Fanny Crosby did. Any of you ever hear of Fanny Crosby? Stop laughing at the name Fanny. Let's just get that out. Fanny Crosby, follower of Jesus, and a hymn writer. A lot of Fanny Crosby's hymns came out of her conversations with people and interactions in her life. One of them was with her neighbor who basically said, listen, just crying about her poverty. If I just had more wealth, then I could really make an impression on the world. I can make an impact. My life will be meaningful if I had more wealth. And Fanny Crosby responded very simply. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Is that where we are today? Take the world. Give me Jesus. God is our greatest value. Right? May that truth change your life today in increasing measure until he comes back to get us. God is our greatest value. Let's pray. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. May that be our heart, O oh God, as a church. May that be the heart of of the men in this room, may it be the heart of the women in this room. May our children 
sing to you with joyful lips because they know and have experienced a personal connection and an intimate knowledge with the fact that your steadfast love is better than life. Anything this world would offer us. God, we pray against the religious game. Fewy. We pray for real devotion. We pray that Renovation Church and all of Christ's people around the globe, all the way from here to Asia, would have a real devotion, a genuine value, valuing of you. Holy Spirit, make it happen. Our soul clings to you, but it is your right hand that upholds us.